Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Obviously, the biggest story of the day uh, has been Brian Flores, the former uh, uh, former Dolphins coach, and his lawsuit against the NFL. But there are several different ripples that have happened since then, including other coaches speaking out about what they've experienced. That includes uh, Hugh Jackson, who spoke earlier tonight on SportsCenter about the proof he has that he was also asked to to uh, to not win football games. This is what he said earlier on SportsCenter. I have documentation of written uh, information between me and them on numerous occasions about what we were doing to the teams, what we were doing to the players. There's conversations between them and players, and they know this to be true. And look, I, I've taken this to the National Football League. When I understood what was going on, I immediately called the National Football League, and I talked to Roger Goodell about what I thought was going on. So this is not new. I mean, I went to arbitration in this case against the Browns where I didn't win anything, you know. So this is – people don't understand that I tried to sound this alarm a while back, uh, but nobody wanted to listen because the record was so bad. So you didn't have a chance to really make a point because all the narrative was that he was just a bad coach. Well – that's not the case at all. So here we are today because what's happened with Brian, Brian Flores, I can see some similarities uh, between the two. Now we're going to get more insight on those comments now from Kimberly Deemer, who's the executive director of the Hugh Jackson Foundation and uh, Coach Jackson's attorney. Kimberly, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. He just mentioned that this is something he brought to the NFL. Can you tell us when that happened and what their response was? Yes, I can. And I think I need to correct something. I think he may have introduced me as his executive director of the foundation and his, and his attorney. And I need to be clear about that. I never um, represented myself as his legal counsel. I was, however, the private investigator on the case. And I represented him in that capacity okay. before the National Football League and the attorneys for the Cleveland Browns organization during this process. Amazing. With Thank that being said, the, the process um, in which I became involved uh, started in the late fall of 2019 and concluded in 2020 when the National Football League dismissed all claims without any further investigation or hearing um, the evidence or seeking any truth to the allegations that were submitted and set forth by the attorney of counsel of record. So... You know, they take this to, to Goodell and they take this to the NFL. He alleges that there was a four-year plan. It sounds like Hugh wasn't aware of the bigger picture early in the plan, but later realized that losing was the goal. So how complicit was he in the efforts to lose games? Absolutely none at all. As a matter of fact, once he discovered the true nature behind the plan, and let me just walk you back to the beginning of that plan. That plan was presented to Hugh Jackson after he was already hired as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns organization, and it was presented to him as a bonus to which he could earn up to $750,000 each year of his contract based on that four-year plan. When that plan was presented to him, it was still in construction, and it was finalized and discussed at the home of Jimmy and D. Haslam in Bretton Hall, Ohio in June of 2016, still without full explanation of what that plan really was. Um, and again, understanding that Hugh Jackson is a football coach, he's not an analytics specialist, and the process by which they were following was something that they deemed to be life-changing in all sports, and they were going to showcase this through the Cleveland Browns organization. They wanted to be the leaders of the pack in developing this type of plan, and then they themselves were going to monetize that plan further on down the line. So they kept the details of that plan and the process of how that plan worked very close to the vest. 
they refused on numerous occasions to explain exactly what that plan meant. When Hugh Jackson saw that plan and there were specific percentages of that 750000 allocated bonus money that was earmarked for reaching certain benchmarks within that plan, such as, for example, ranking in the lower third by aggregate rankings in specific benchmarks within the NFL. And, you know, and, uh, you know, the other recruiting measures that Hugh Jackson has already addressed. So without necessarily saying that we are not trying to win for two years, they built a plan where it was impossible to be a winning team for the first two years so they can gain draft capital and increase their salary cap space so that in year three and four, as indicated in that four-year plan, they had substantial sums of money that far exceeded what they normally would have had and clearly had substantial number of draft picks, as you can tell by going through the records. Those are all public records. The only way, and for those of you who are really sports-minded, you understand how the draft works, and you only accumulate draft choices, the number one draft picks, based on your wins and losses in any specific season. So the further down the totem pole you are on a winning record, the more draft picks you get in the number one spots, which is what is most premium everybody wants. So with that being said, he was given distributions of those $750,000 quote-unquote bonus monies for hitting those specific benchmarks, of which he never really even understood what they were. Now, let's keep in mind, he was not the only one that was compensated based on that four-year plan. The other individuals compensated on that four-year plan not only were compensated, but they were the architects of that plan and knew exactly what they were doing and how they were being compensated for that plan. And that was Paul D. Podesta, Sashi Brown, and Andrew Barry. Now, two of those three gentlemen are still representing the Cleveland Browns organization to this day. Sashi Brown has moved on to another professional sports team, um, but they continue the same process by which they started in 2016. We're talking to Kimberly Demert, executive director of the Hugh Jackson Foundation, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, Coach Jackson obviously has worked for other organizations. I know analytics weren't a part of those other organizations, but we now have two organizations that we're hearing have been encouraging losing. Is this something he'd ever experienced, to your knowledge, at other uh, organizations he worked for? I will say this. In in the course of my investigations for this case, um, I did not find that to be true or accurate in any other organization that he worked for. As a matter of fact, it was quite clear and evident that the, the NFL Constitution and bylaws has very strict rules on how coaches are to be compensated for and what they cannot be compensated for. And I encourage all of your listeners and you yourselves as journalists to pull up the National Football League Constitution and bylaws and do your own investigations on how those processes take place, what they are permitted to be compensated for, and what they are prohibited from being compensated for. And that includes coaches, players, and all staff. Kimberly Demert is with us here. She's the executive director of the Hugh Jackson Foundation and is talking about his allegations that the Browns uh, gave bonuses to him and others essentially to tank. I I heard Hugh mention this. We've got about two minutes left, by the way. I wonder how the record attached to Hugh from his time with the Browns has affected his ability to get other jobs or be believed in his statements about the Browns, about the NFL, about his own value. Well, you're absolutely correct. You hit the nail on the head. You know, when you really step back and look at this from from an anal, and I'm going to use the term analytic perspective because as a PI, that's what I do. Um, he was strategically targeted as a black man to be the face of an ex- analytical experiment, which included tanking. 
during that process, they knew that a black man was not valued as head coach material in the National Football League. So he was disposable commodity in that experiment. And as such, the National Football League, through a collective ownership, they find different ways to justify why black men do not deserve to be in those positions. And he was the perfect fall guy for that. And we went to the league, we being uh, Coach Jackson, went to the league, went through all the processes that were established by the league and how you settle grievances, brought the matter to Roger Goodell and Troy Vincent in 2016, according to all records, which were introduced during arbitration, um, and followed through with these, including documentations and letters back and forth with ownership and executives at the organization. What they were doing was not only detrimental to him as a head coach, it was detrimental to every player on that team, every coach on that team, and every black man who ever wishes to come up in the National Football League to ever hope to have the position as head coach. Kimberly, we and we warned the, league, the coach warned the league that this was going to happen to Brian Flores as soon as he saw that happening, and here we are today. It did happen to Brian Flores, just in a different way. We appreciate your insight and in all Great of this. Stuff, Thanks so Kimberly. much for the time and the clarity and the information. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much for the opportunity.